morning, saints. It's good to see you all as we gather for worship here on this uh, Lord's Day. We're very happy to be back uh, from vacation. My family and I were gone for a week, but we are happy to be back with you and worshiping with you. Uh, We had a good time, so thank you for your prayers and your support. We are happy uh, to be back uh, with you. Uh, Before we begin our service of worship, we do have a couple of announcements. This morning, we are planning to receive Mallory Sr. into communicant membership, uh, so that will happen later uh, in uh, the service, and it looks like that's it. Uh, If you would also, uh, please keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed uh, there this week, our family of the week is James Ridge, so please play, pray for James uh, throughout the week if you are able. Also, uh, you may have seen the emails that have uh, went out this last week. Uh, Diane reared and fell in her uh, garage. She broke her hip. She broke her foot. The foot is okay. It's in a boot. The hip, she had to have surgery on. And so she's out of surgery. She'll be doing physical therapy for several days. Um, So please pray for Steve and uh, Diane as she goes through this uh, healing healing process. That's Steve and Diane Reardon. Well, friends of God, we have gathered here in the name of Jesus Christ to worship the only true and living God. As the music plays, let us prepare our hearts to worship him. Saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear our God call us to worship him from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's now sing the doxology. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have searched us out that we might know you and love you with all of our being. We pray, O God, that you would receive us this morning in the name of Christ, that we might have joy in him, that we might rejoice in his mighty acts of redemption. To Christ, who is our eternal inheritance, and to you, O Father, and to the Holy Spirit, be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. 
If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 130a, Lord, from the depths to you I cry, Psalm 130a. seated. I'd like to invite you to turn to the front of your Trinity hymnals, page Roman numeral 16. On page Roman numeral 16, you will find a list of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a revelation of the moral will of God to man. As we read the Ten Commandments together, friends, let us be mindful of all the ways in which Christ has secured salvation for us by fulfilling the law and by bearing the curse of breaking the law on his stead. And let, us, let that spur us on to greater thankfulness in him. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Beloved, having now heard God's law, let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is listed in the insert in your bulletin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Amen. Beloved, as we just prayed, God will not despise his people when they come to him with broken and contrite hearts confessing their sins. He is gracious and forgiving and he gives us full assurance that our sins have been forgiven by his son, Jesus Christ, and by his work on the cross, and he gives us that assurance in his word as we see in the book of Titus, chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 429, Come Now Fount of Every Blessing, hymn 429, and let's all stand together as we sing.
Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will be considering Philippians chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. I think I would like to begin the reading in verse uh, 21, however. So uh, verse 25 and 26 will be the focus of the sermon uh, this morning. Before we begin uh, reading from Scripture, let us go to God once again in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, out of the depths of our being, we cry to you, O God, to have mercy upon us. For if you would count iniquities, who could stand? Indeed, no one could stand. And yet, Father, you are merciful. You have forgiven us of all of our sins by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, as your adopted children, we come freely to you, to the throne of grace, asking for your blessing. So we pray, Father, that you would open your ears to our cries this morning. Father, fill us with joy and contentment. By the preaching of the gospel, may our faith progress to the praise of your glory, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, beloved, this is the word of God. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord remains forever. While Paul made it clear that when he thought about the prospect of dying, he desired it. He made that very clear. Why? Because dying for the Christian is a departure in the soul from this body to be with Christ, which is far better. That is how Paul describes it. It is far better to be with Christ than to continue to live in this sinful flesh dealing with the remnants of the sinful old man. It is better to die and be with Christ in a sanctified soul. Verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. At the same time, though, even though he ultimately desired that, a desire to be with Christ, for that is far better. He also thinks about the church. He also was thinking about the Philippians and their spiritual needs. If Paul died, that might be better for him, certainly. He would be with Christ. But what about those who were left behind? Not only would they be dealing with grief about Paul's death, but they would also need a pastor, they would need a minister someone who could preach the gospel and minister to their needs. This is what Paul says about 
him continuing to live as an apostle in the church. Verse 24, to remain, that is not to die, to remain is more necessary on your account, the church's account. Now, Paul may have been saying this because of significant spiritual issues that he may have heard about in his time in prison that he became aware of while he was in chains that was happening in the city of Philippi. He might have thought there's significant spiritual issues that need to be addressed in this church. It's more necessary for me to stay, to live, to minister to your needs because I know of what is going on among the members of the church. Or he might have just been saying this because his brush with death had caused him to rethink his future plans in ministry. At the end of Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 15, Paul declared a strong desire at that point to take his gospel ministry into Spain. So he wanted to move further into Europe, move further into the West. He wanted to take the gospel to Spain, and he told the Romans that. It could have been that Paul was imprisoned after writing that letter to the Romans. So he's, he's free, he's doing ministry, he's thinking about his future plans, he wants to go to Spain, and then he's imprisoned. And it's shut down. And his imprisonment caused him to rethink those plans. That could have happened here. And so maybe he was thinking to himself, maybe Spain is not meant for me right now. Maybe I need to put those plans on hold. Maybe I should turn my attention back to the east, back to Philippi, and continue ministering there for a little while longer. Now, it's not altogether clear exactly why Paul uh, is saying this, is thinking about this. It's more necessary on your account for me to remain and to minister to you. But what Paul does make clear is that he was convinced that he would remain, he would live, he would not be executed. And not only this, not only would he not be executed, he would see the Philippians in person again. Verse 26, my coming to you again. Verse 25, continue with you all. So he's confident that he will see them again. He'll he'll live and he will see this church once again. Now we should understand that when Paul talks about the necessity of him living and continuing his ministry among them, He was not talking about it in a begrudging manner. For example, like when someone calls us and asks us to do something fun with them one day. They invite us to do something fun, like attend a party or see a movie or go to dinner, whatever it may be. But you can't go because you have to work. And so you have to tell them this. You say, oh, I'd love to go with you because that would be far better. It would be far better to spend time with you, go to that party with you, rather than for me to work. But unfortunately, I have to work. I can't get out of it. The meaning there is, when you say that, is there's really nothing at work that I enjoy when I compare it to spending time with you when we're off work. However, I've got to pay the bills. And so you slump your shoulders, you put your head down, you've got a sad face, and you say... I, I have to work. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't go with you. Now, this is not Paul's disposition. That is not the way he was looking about. He was looking at the alternatives, living and dying. It was not as though he was saying, I would much rather be with Christ, but 
Unfortunately, I have to live and I have to stay and minister to you all. This was not Paul's disposition at this time. His continued ministry to them was necessary at this time. The Philippians needed Paul's ministry. That's why he says this. It's necessary. Just like churches at all times need pastors. Churches need pastors. Churches need good pastors. Not because of the men themselves, necessarily, but because of the way in which these men minister the gospel. That's where the necessity part comes in. And that is the way the Lord has established the the functioning of the church, the activity of the church. So churches need faithful pastors because of the ministry of the gospel. Now earlier Paul had said that the Philippians were fellow partakers with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. A good, loving, faithful man has no power in himself really to help the church. If you think about it, there's lots of faithful men sitting in this room this morning. But that by itself doesn't necessarily help the church. It's not what the church needs necessarily or essentially. But if that good and faithful man is called by God to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, and it's evident that God has given this man the gifts to carry out this work, then... He is of much use to the church. Indeed, his ministry is necessary for the church. And so, yes, we need good, faithful pastors. We need those pastors to be good, faithful men. But we need those men to preach the gospel, to exercise the gifts that they've been given by the Spirit, to minister the gospel in word and sacrament. That is what is necessary for the church, for the church's spiritual health. And so the necessity aspect of good, faithful, pastoral ministry in the church is certainly there. It was there in Paul's relationship to the Philippians at this time. And so Paul says, it's necessary for me to remain. But Paul also enjoyed doing this. He enjoyed serving them. As a minister, he enjoyed doing the work. Difficult work, yes, but he enjoyed doing it. What did he just say? I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. This is what he said in the previous verses. He's rejoicing. It's necessary for me to stay, but he rejoices in that work as he remains ministering uh, the gospel to them. And then in chapter 2, he says, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So again, Paul was not saying this talking about the necessity to stay and minister to the gospel as something that was detrimental to him, or that was a burden to him, that he didn't enjoy. No, he was rejoicing. Again, later in this chapter, or in this letter, Paul calls this particular church, my joy and crown, whom he loves. And so Paul enjoyed his work. He enjoyed ministering the gospel to them. If ministering the gospel to the church with all its difficulties and all of its pain, and it is painful at times, you can see how painful it was for Paul to be in chains. If this caused Paul to be depressed about working, having to work, then he wouldn't have said, I'm torn between the two. 
He's torn between living and dying. And when he thinks about living, he, he's going to continue to be a minister of the gospel. He's not thinking about vacation. He's thinking about ministering the gospel. That's what brings him joy, and that's what makes it hard for him decide, to decide. He's struck between the two. I want to be with Christ. Of course, the joy there is unspeakable. But there's joy over here, too. I'm, I'm toward hard-pressed between the two. And he also would not have said in verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He wouldn't have said that if continuing to work, to minister the gospel, was something that was a depressing burden for him. Paul's gospel ministry to the Philippians was meant to teach them to have joy in Christ, to glory in Christ, as he says in verse 26. But this joy in Christ, through faith in Christ, was something that was shared between the two groups, Paul on the one side and the church to whom he ministered on the other side. They would all share in this joy together in Christ. That is what Paul looked forward to. That is what caused him to, to struggle between the two alternatives. And really, it wasn't Paul on the one side and, and church on, on the other side, essentially. It's really just one group. It's one body. One, the one body of Christ, but in the body, on this side of the resurrection, we all have certain roles to play. For Paul, it was an apostle, a pastor, a minister of the gospel. That, that is what, how Paul functioned in the church. But there's other roles. And as we grow in our joy in Christ, we, dro- we grow in that joy in him together. And so then as Paul's joy in the faith increased as a minister of the gospel, he would share this joy with the Philippians primarily through his gospel ministry. And in turn, the joy of the Philippians in the faith would increase, which would make Paul's joy increase all the more. As we can see, the goal, joy in Christ, increasing for all members of the church, the one body of Christ. Yes, there are pastors, and yes, there are non-pastors. There are elders and deacons and non-elders and non-deacons, but our goal, the goal for all of us is right here. Joy in Christ, increased joy in the living and resurrected Christ. The picture we get here is one of Paul together with the Philippians in person, glorying in Christ Jesus and having joy collectively through faith in Christ. That is what he looks forward to. So that no one is lifted above another in significance, not even Paul. If that's the goal then the church doesn't exist to glorify one person or one group of people. It exists to glorify Christ, to have joy in him. And so no one is more important than another. No one is more significant than another. So that in me, and this is what Paul says in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That's the point. Because of my coming to you again. And so Jesus is lifted up, not Paul. That's who they glory in. They glory and have joy in Jesus, though partly because Jesus preserved Paul's life. And so glorying in Christ is the goal. But part of the way that God would do that in this church would be to preserve Paul's life 
and bring him back to this church once again. So then not only was Paul not dead, but he would see them again in person. They would all rejoice together. Now, don't you think that this is progress? Is that not progress in the church? I think it is. That is how we advance. This word progress, it's translated progress here. It's the same word that's translated earlier as advance in verse 12. There Paul is talking about his chains. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, to make it move forward. And there, progress meant the gospel reaching Gentiles, so the gospel reached the ears of those who had never heard of Christ. And it also meant that the church, namely preachers, were more emboldened to preach Christ, to preach Christ passionately, zealously. And so the entire church was built up by the ministry of the word. That's progress. Here, Paul is talking again about progress, your progress in the faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, certainly it included some of these other things that Paul had already mentioned, greater confidence, greater boldness in the faith, not frightened by our opponents. Paul expands upon this progress, though, here in verse 27, uh, which we'll look at, Lord willing, uh, next week. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He says, stand firm in one spirit, so have unity. That's progress. So part of the progress is unity in the body, which we'll look at next week and the week after. That's advancement. That's the church being built up by the ministry of the word. But don't, couldn't we also think that progress and joy refer somewhat to having on some level the same mindset as Paul here. What have we been looking at for, before I was gone last week, we looked at a certain passage, a certain main principle that Paul lived his life out of, and he, upon which he founded his life. And what was that? It was to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now, wouldn't you think that progress in the church would be thinking more like this, thinking more like the apostle? To live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I have not always lived like that, by that principle. I have considered other things as what it means to truly live. And when I thought about dying, I think Christ has saved me and I think it will be good. But there's so many other things here in this life that seem so much better. Now, as a Christian, we, if we're honest, that is how we think. That is where we are at times. And certainly the Philippians probably were thinking along those same lines and Paul presents it to him. This is how I think. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so once he returns, do you not think that he would want them to, he would want to see in the church more thinking along those lines, to see more people putting those words on their lips and living them out, to live as Christ and to die as gain? I think that is, I think that's progress and I think that's what, at least partly what he was after. That would be progress in the faith, that would be advancement, that is what he is after. This is why progress and joy in the faith belong together, as he says here. 
Because through Paul's gospel ministry, the goal would be that they too, the Philippians, the people to whom he ministered, that they too would contemplate life and death. But really think about it. That they would think about life and death like he was forced to think about life and death in prison because he might have been executed. That's progress. That's advancement in the church. That would be the goal, that they would begin to settle in and think about these things and reach the same kind of place in their hearts and minds if they had not done so already. Now, in thinking about all of this, we can go back to something that I said before, that in Paul's imprisonment and his brush with death, possibly by execution, the Philippians had a kind of living illustration of what happened to Christ, what happened to Jesus Christ. Paul was imprisoned. He was bound in chains for the gospel, virtually on the point of being executed, could have died. What happened to Jesus? Well, he didn't avoid execution. He was executed. He was crucified. Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. He came close to being executed for the gospel. Jesus was executed. He was crucified because he is the gospel. And so as the Philippians were hearing from Paul and thinking about him in prison, they had a kind of living illustration of what happened to Christ. And Paul even says that in his letter. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so that's what they had in Paul, a picture of the sufferings of Jesus Christ who was crucified for the church. Now, if we can say this about Paul's imprisonment, can we not also say this about Paul's physical return to the Philippians? What does he say? My coming to you again. He will see them in person once again. Well, Jesus says something similar at the end of the, at the, end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. What does he say to the church? He says, surely I am coming soon. I'm coming to see you again. In person, physically, visibly, I will be with you again, just as Paul would be physically and visibly with the Philippian church. Once again, Jesus will come back. He is alive and he is returning. We will see him again. When he returns to be with us, we will enjoy him. We will enjoy him. Have joy in him. The progress that we experience in the faith in this life, when that day comes, will have reached its goal. We will have crossed the finish line. That's what we're looking forward to. To be with him. To be with this returning king. To see him visibly, physically manifest among the church. That is what we are after. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. And so friends, don't miss this joy that this is the goal. Joy is the goal. Joy, eternal joy, is the, goal, is the goal in the Christian life. Joy in Christ forever. And so Paul mentions here progress and joy in the faith. That is the res- would be, or that, that would be the result of gospel ministry through Paul once he comes to them, comes to them again. The day of Christ's return, friends, has not come. 
Until then, and until our departure to be with Christ, we are all in need of the gospel. We all need the gospel on this side of the grave, on this side of the resurrection. We need the gospel to remind us of what we are truly after, of who we are truly after. Because we forget, we lose sight of what it means to be a Christian, what the goal actually is. We lose sight of it, don't we? That's where the gospel comes in, to remind you, to remind us of where we're headed, why we have been called in the first place, who we are truly after. Paul knew full well that this need for the gospel was present in the Philippians, and so he tells them, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now later, of course, Paul would die. He, he would be released from the Philippian, or his imprisonment. We don't know for sure where he was, possibly in Rome. He would be released from this imprisonment and serve the Philippians a little while longer. But later on in his life, he would die. He actually was martyred for the faith. But he set up Timothy and Titus as two of the men who would continue to minister to the gospel to the church after he was gone. We have letters from Paul to these men to aid them in setting them up for gospel ministry. And friends, this gospel ministry that everyone in the church needs, it still continues today. This is what we are doing this morning. Friends, we are all in need of the gospel until Jesus, who is the substance of the gospel and the source of our joy, returns to be with us forever. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray, friends. Our Father and our God, we thank you for our risen and returning King. We thank you for the ministry of the gospel and the lives of the church. We pray, Father, that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds the necessity for the gospel, the spiritual necessity to feed upon Christ, to receive his word, and to live out uh, the faith every day of our lives. We pray, Father, that as your people receive the ministry of the word, that you would, in fact, advance the gospel in our hearts and in our lives. May there be progress and joy in the faith among the people of Providence Presbyterian Church here, among our families. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do this good work until we see our Savior returning to us again. Father, remind us of the promises that we have in the gospel. May these promises shape the way we live and shape the way we serve one another. Father, we lift up to you this morning the nations of the world. We pray, Father, that you, your grace and mercy would be upon all people groups and all nations. We pray for the civil leaders in various regions, thinking especially of those that are walking in darkness, that have shut the doors to the ministry of the word. We pray, Father, that you would open those doors Raise up servants to take the gospel, that the gospel of your grace might penetrate into the darkness of uh, these ungodly lands. We pray, Father, for peace, for stability. We pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would reign supreme in the hearts of your people, even as they suffer these things. Father, we pray for our country. We thank you for our, this country that we live in and for the privileges we enjoy 
We thank you for our civil leaders. We pray for all our civil leaders, both local and national level. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be merciful to them. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit, guide them uh, by your word. We pray, Father, that you would dispose all things to your glory and uh, remind the church, O O God, that uh, we serve a greater king and we serve... uh, We are citizens of a heavenly city, and so we pray, Father, that as we suffer through this age, that you would give us grace to endure, to persevere every trial and temptation. Father, we pray for our missionaries whom you sent out into the four corners of the earth. We pray this morning as we think about the Paysons in Uruguay. We pray for Stephen and Catalina and their family, Julia and Isaiah. Father, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Give them your grace. Multiply the fruit that is born from their uh, ministry and uh, provide for all of their needs. Father, we pray for the work of church planting in our region. We thank you for Pastor Sumter. We thank you for Good Shepherd OPC in Houston, for the New Braunfels church plant, and for other church plants that are cropping up. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your wisdom and uh, your mercy and your power would be at work among these people. Father, we lift up to you now the needs of our church, Providence Presbyterian Church, and all of our members. We thank you for this body. We thank you for our families. Father, we pray for our single people, for uh, those who have been widowed. We pray for our married couples and for our children. Father, we lift up to you our students who are returning to school very soon. Father, protect them and be with them. Uh, Keep them from the evil one. Protect them, both body and soul. And we pray for those who have uh, gone off to college, thinking of uh, Danny Spranger, Johan Agron, and others. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would sustain their faith and strengthen them and cause progress and joy in their lives as uh, as they follow your lead. Father, we pray for those who suffer trials of various kinds in both mind and body. We think of the elderly this morning. We lift up to you Eileen, Dorothy, Kay, Sue's mother, Jean, Hal, Alan, Corey's mother, Hikari, Rosalie. We pray, Father, that you would bless them and be with them all. Lord, we lift up to you those who face uh, physical ailments. We pray that you would be merciful to Claire Deesing. Father, bless Iona Engelbrecht. She still struggles with back pain. Father, sustain her faith and give her joy in, in the gospel and give her physical healing in accordance with your will. Father, we pray for the Broccolo family as they wait upon you and as they uh, are shepherded by your spirit and your word. We pray that you would be merciful to them. Continue to be with the Milam family. We pray for the Okorafors. They search for a home. Bless them and uh, lead them by your wisdom and provide for them. We ask, oh, oh God, that you would be with those with cancer as we think of Arlene, Kathy, Jim, William, Laura's friend, and John and Kathy Burleson, Chris Duby's parents, we pray, Father, that you would be with them all and grant them your grace. Father, watch over the Reardons as Steve and Diane deal with Diane's uh, recent fall. We pray that you would grant her physical healing. And um, even through this trial, we pray, Father, that you would cause progress and joy uh, to be found among them. Father, we pray for our uh, mission work in Ukraine and for our expectant mothers. Father, bless them and be with them all. We thank you for the faith that you've given our brother James. We thank you for his service in this church and for his service for the kingdom at large. Father, provide for all of his needs. We pray, Lord, that you would advance the gospel of grace in his heart and his mind. And 
Father, fill us with compassion and mercy to lay down our own uh, selfish desires to serve uh, whatever needs our dear brother has. We lift up to you James Ridge and ask that you would bless him and, and keep him. Father, we commit all these things into your hands through Jesus Christ, our high priest and king, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have the privilege to give to the gospel of uh, grace through our sacrificial uh, giving. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and who is uh, the great Lord of the harvest, be pleased to use our sacrifices for his glory. Amen. this time, I'd like to ask Mallory Sr. to come forward and for the session of Providence to come forward uh, as well. Well, friends... Once again, uh, you could probably uh, recite what I'm about to say. We've done so many of these in the past few weeks, but these are all very important truths and very important exhortations from God's uh, word for all of us each time that this takes place. It's important to remember that Mallory is already a member of the church. She has been a member of the church by virtue of her baptism. She's been a member of this church as a non-communicant member and has been receiving the blessings of Christ as a member of the church this whole Time. She is now becoming a communicant member. She's communicating her faith publicly before you, before God, so that she can enjoy the Lord's Supper and advance in her faith today. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank God for the grace that was given to you, that you have accepted God's covenant promise that was signified and sealed in your infancy by baptism. We now ask you to profess your faith publicly. Do you believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testaments, to be the Word of God, and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Yes. 
Do you believe in one living and true God, in whom eternally there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in power and glory, and that Jesus Christ is God the Son come in the flesh? Do you confess that because of your sinfulness, you abhor and humble yourself before God, that you repent of your sin, and that you trust for salvation, not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone? Yes. Sorry. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord, and do you promise that in reliance on the grace of God, you will serve him with all that is in you, forsake the world, resist the devil, put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and lead a godly life? Do you promise to participate faithfully in this church's worship and service, to submit in the Lord to its government, to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life? Yes. Well, from the time that Mallory was baptized, the whole congregation has been obligated to love her, to receive her, to pray for her, to serve all of her needs. And she is now being received into full communion, that obligation still stands on each one of us, that we would pray for her, minister to her needs. Mallory will be finishing school very soon and possibly going off to college. And we have others have done this as, as well and are approaching this time as well. It's imperative that we pray for our children, that they would remain faithful to these vows, not to forsake the world, resist the devil, to lead a godly life. It's a difficult thing to do as a young person apart from one's family. So it's imperative that we continue to pray for Mallory, that we continue to pray for her and her faith throughout the course of her Christian life, and that we would set an example to her. These are vows that I have taken. These are vows that you have taken. If you're a member of the church, where is she to learn how to fulfill these vows if we're not being faithful to them? So it's it's an obligation upon each one of us to stay faithful to the vows that we have taken so that she might have a good example to follow. Well, beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to all the privileges of full communion with God's people and in particular to participation in the sacrament of the Holy Supper. I charge you to continue steadfastly in the confession that you have made, humbly relying upon the grace of God and the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. And rest assured, Mallory, that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. May the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, may he perfect you, establish, and strengthen you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your covenant faithfulness. You are the great God who keeps covenant with his people. We thank you for saving Mallory. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart, giving her a new heart. We thank you for the faith that you've given her. And uh, we ask that you would help her to keep these vows that she has made, that you would help her to live a godly life just as you help us to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we... uh, We also pray that you would give us a desire to um, love her, that you would fill our hearts with love for Mallory, that you would make us a good congregation. And Lord, I pray you'd fill her heart with faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Well, as usual, we will ask Mallory um, after uh, the service to come forward uh, so we can congratulate her and encourage her uh, in her faith. Those are some of the more joyful times as a pastor, so I'm thankful. If you would now turn in your hymnals to page 851, if you need to do so, there you will find the Apostles' Creed. We will confess our faith in the gospel together by reciting this creed, and let us all stand together as we do so. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 84b, our final psalm, O Lord of hosts, how lovely, Psalm 84b.
Uh, just a reminder, we'll invite Mallory to come forward. You can congr- congratulate her and encourage her on this wonderful step she's taken uh, in her faith. Now, friends of God, receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.